Good morning and happy 4th of July. Whoo, what a day, what a day. I am excited for today, man. I did all my shopping yesterday. I got, I've been doing this new thing for burgers, and they're a huge hit. And when I tell you what it is, it's so simple, yet it, I think when you hear it, it's going to make all the sense in the world to you, and you might change the way you do burgers. Although I don't want to throw you for a loop today. If you're listening to this in the morning, and you got people coming over later. Although 4th of July is one of those holidays. Stuff is still open, right? Like Wegmans is open today. Or like I did all my shopping for uh, for today at A&G, uh, the A&G market there in Churchville, which is right by where my plant is. Because the owner, one of the owners there, is a butcher by trade. And so he's got great meat. Like just really, really great sausage and high quality beef and Etc. Etc. Anyway, the the secret with the the burgers. I don't think I put this on the podcast yet. Excuse me if I'm repeating myself, but um, I was. It was a few weeks ago. My wife had just gotten me that grill for Father's Day. She got me a, a Weber grill, beautiful Weber grill, and um, it was good. We were going to break it in. I think it. You know, actually, now that I think about it, it was Memorial Day. It was actually on Memorial Day, and. Uh, I was Googling burger recipes, and of course, I, I came across a million different ideas for people who want to basically make meatloaf, right? You want to take all these spices and all these things and basically mix them into the ground beef and and and, and mix it all together, and then you, you get these flavored patties. And you see that at Wegmans all the time, too, right? They've got, like, the cheddar bacon burger patties and Greek burger patties. and So I saw a bunch of that. And of course, I've tried that a million times, and it turns out fine when I do that. But then I come across this guy who has uh, a blog or whatever, and on his blog, he talks about that he owns a food truck, a burger food truck in Los Angeles, and that he has the secret for the best burgers. And so, okay, I go, okay, this guy, this is credible, right? All this other crap, all these other recipes, I've seen these, I've read these, they're a dime a dozen. This seems credible to me. Let me read what this guy has to say. And what he says is, he says, go and get yourself some 80-20 ground beef, ground chuck, you know, the kind that's got the squiggly lines in it because it just came right out of the grinder, right into the little, uh, right into the little container that you bought it in. Go get one of those. Grab a small handful of that ground chuck. Take it out of there, like a, like just a lump of really just it fits in in the palm of your hand, right? Be very de- just form it into a ball, but delicately, not like a tough ball. We're not making meatballs. We're just gonna form it into a delicate circle. Well, that's all we want. We just kind of want a circle. Then we're gonna take anything. I I just use the bottom of a plate, but anything you can use, and we're gonna press it down. And the secret. The secret, the way you know you've done it right, is if you can still see the squiggly lines after you've pressed it down, so you haven't overworked the little ball, you didn't over push, you just, you know, you sort of just gently pushed it down, and now what it looks like you have is a slab of that stuff right out of the package. You know, again, the secret is do you still see those squiggly lines? Take that. Throw that on your grill, medium-high heat, depending on if you want it rare, medium, rare, medium. That's how long you're going to cook it, right? I usually go medium-rare. It's three, four minutes per side, really quick. 
But some people want a little more well done than that, and that's fine. And it comes out the juiciest, best burger you're ever you're, you're ever going to want. And somebody, and I was explaining that to somebody, and somebody said, well, yeah, that's what they do at some of the big chains. And I don't know. I've never worked for five guys. or I think the, Actually, I think the example the person used with me, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I think they said Tom Walls. Like Tom Walls advertises that they use just ground beef, just pressed ground beef, that's it. That's what this is. This is just pressed ground beef, that's it. Do not overhandle it. Do not overpack it, nothing like that. Just pressed, simple ground beef on the grill. It's going to be a little delicate until it gets cooked, so you got to be a little bit careful with it, but it's uh, it really has turned out great. So I've got that going today. I've got hot dogs, sausage. Oh, i got a little uh, Coach Tony's meat sauce that I'm going to serve with the burgers, white and yellow uh, cheese. I'm going to make deviled eggs. My father-in-law's bringing pasta salad. My mother-in-law's bringing desserts. It's going to be a great day. Great cookout. Very excited for today. Happy 4th of July to you. I hope you get the opportunity to spend some uh, time with people. I hope that you have tomorrow off. We do. I gave my people tomorrow off. I personally am also planning on taking tomorrow off, and I am extremely excited about that because I'm not working today either, so it's two days in a row of not working. I think some people, regular people, call that two days in a row without working a weekend. Uh, <laughs> forgot what those were. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, just a quick th- Before we get to this podcast, I just want to let you know what's coming up. Next couple of weeks are already planned. To be honest with you, I'm more ahead than usual. Next couple of weeks are already in the can as we speak. So I was very fortunate and very lucky to uh, have the opportunity to go on WXXI Connections with Evan Dawson this week. After we got done on his show, uh, I cornered him and asked him to do my podcast, and he obliged, and we did uh, we did an episode of my podcast. So that will actually be next Sunday's episode that's already recorded. I think you're going to like it quite a bit. Just to tease it, we do talk about Evan's life, how Evan came to be the host of Connections, and uh, a, a doozy of a story he actually puts out there, too, about how uh, 13 Wham actually tried to stop him from leaving to go to WXXI in the way of threatening to sue him. And he'll tell that story. He said, look, it was a corporate thing, didn't have anything to do with any of the local people, but nonetheless, scary times. And that's a very fascinating story. But hearing how Evan thinks, how he puts together his show, it's really good stuff. You're going to love that next week. And then two weeks from today, I will have AJ, one of the founders, AJ Singh, one of the founders of Nantastic and Rebel Pie Pizza. And um, he was, uh, his father is the uh, founder of Tali of India which is one of Rochester's most notorious Indian restaurants. And then him and his brother did the chain of Nantastic stores. And as I said, the Rebel Pie Pizza, the Sweet Mist Ice Cream Shop is also theirs. And they are uh, truly just some of Rochester's best restaurateurs. I I love bringing you stuff. I I really think this podcast at this point is going all food and all media because those are the only episodes I do that anyone clicks on. (laughs) So other than that. I love you. I appreciate you. Happy 4th of July. Please enjoy my interview with Mr. Media himself, Scott Feibush. This guy is an encyclopedia of Rochester, not just Rochester, all Northeast media knowledge, but we will soak up some of that knowledge from Scott Feibush right now. Hope you enjoy the episode. Happy 4th of July.
he's here. He's the man. He's Scotty Fibush in the house. Oh, Scotty, thanks for coming, man. My pleasure. We're neighbors. We are. We're like right across Monroe Avenue from each other. Yeah, yeah. So we're sitting in a neighborhood in Brighton right now, like right around 12 Corners. It's you, Malik's Bakery, and then me. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. It's a great, you know what? That's our new meeting spot. That's where we're going to go. Marble right. cookies for everybody. Cookie. Yes. 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 I like. Well, thanks for coming. Um, I love talking about media. Obviously did it for a long time. Uh, specifically one type of media, but I want to talk about kind of all of it. But I, I, I think there's like three things I want to talk about, and that's basically you, how you became who you are, the history of local media. And I think, well, I know you branch way beyond Rochester, but we'll keep it sort of to Rochester. Does, if yeah. we branch a little beyond, that's no problem. And then, of course, the future. I would love to get your thoughts on where things are going because it is obviously a very, very changing industry. So what do you think? You want to? By the way, Awesome job on XXI this week. Thank you. That was so much fun. I wish Evan would take vacation more often, yeah. honestly. <laughs> no, it's such a it's such a privilege to be able to just sit down and, and have those kind of conversations. Yeah. Uh, it's those are those are big shoes to fill. What was your favorite hour of the week here filling in? Oh man. I know they're all were, your babies. You love them all. There were a lot of them. I mean, the the thing that I love the most uh, are doing those book week segments. Mm-hmm. You know, they let me loose uh, for five of the nine hours that I did to just talk about books. And I am you know, I'm a firm believer that there is just nowhere near enough discussion with artists and creative people anywhere, on the radio, in print, on TV, you name it. And to have the opportunity to give people exposure for what they're doing and talk to them about the creative process, and I just... I dig so deep into that, and I, I, I love it, and I hope they let me do more of that because that, well, that was so it much It was fun. great. I mean, how uh, – so you did, so you, you filled in on XXI. You're a contributor, right? And and I just learned by looking at your Twitter bio, you're the engineer at DKX. I wear a whole bunch of different hats. <laughs> I, am, I never knew that. <laughs> I am like 17 different part-time slash freelance slash consulting things. So the, the XXI is probably what people know me best yeah. for. Uh, you know, I've, I've been there as a part-timer for 17 years now uh, as sort of, the, I call myself the designated hitter. So I fill in if Beth Adams is taking a week off of doing mornings, I fill in and I do morning edition for her for a week. If Evan needs a fill-in uh, for connections, I fill in and I do connections or I do all things considered if Al has the day off or I go out and report occasionally. So that's one piece of it. Um, I do a lot of freelance writing and consulting uh, so the part that isn't as visible to people in Rochester is my Fibush Media business, where I'm working with broadcasters around the country, kind of in an engineering and sometimes a business capacity, doing FCC filings, doing some station brokerage, which is not easy right now. It's tough mm-hmm. to buy and sell radio stations right now. We can talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing broadcast engineering, and so for the last couple of years, I've been helping out at DKX. I'm their I'm their part-time engineer, and, and I help keep the studios running and the transmitter running. I have the keys to the roof of the Xerox Tower. That's pretty cool. I get to enjoy the best view in town up Bragging, there that right? almost nobody else gets to see. Do you so ever go up there for fireworks when we have them? I've never gone up for fireworks <laughs> yet. I might at some point, though. We'll see. But, yeah, it's a, it's a cool view from up there. So I do that. I do some freelance writing. Uh, I write for a publication called Current, which is sort of the, the newspaper of public media. Uh, so I, I keep busy. There are a lot of different things that, that I do a little bit of, mm-hmm. and I don't get bored quite as easily that way most yeah, of the time. that's a good strategy. Well, let's yeah. talk about how you became that guy. Like, who who are Where are you from? I'm from Brighton. From Brighton, born I'm and raised. A, I'm a Brighton boy, Brighton High, class of 88. Great. 
and and where do you like fall in love with media like where does that all start so i grew up my my dad was and still is a huge news junkie so i grew up in a household that read the times union every day my grandfather read the new york times every sunday and brought the sections over as he finished it my dad was constantly, you know, he always had the, the PBS NewsHour on. And once NPR started, he had NPR on. So I grew up kind of immersed in this. And then I had an aunt uh, who was an account executive. And she worked when I was when I was little, I'm talking, you know, five, six years old, she worked at Channel 10. And so I would go over, this was, you know, mid-1970s. Gabe Delmuth was still the, the young, fresh-faced news anchor there. And, and Rich Funky and, uh, and Margaret Graham Smith, which is a name that probably even predates you here. But they, I, I would go over and hang out with my aunt. If I had a day off from school, I'd go and hang out at the old Channel 10 building, which is what's now the parking lot of, I still think of it as the new Channel 10 building, even though it's been there for 40 years and, and change. And I'd watch them do the news. I just thought, this is... This is neat. It's like a, there's like a like a magic to it, right? There is like, absolutely. Like and I la- want to. Yeah, last week I did that Stacy Penskin interview, and, yeah. and I, we I did heard that. you talking about that being in the studio. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I'm looking around and I'm like, this feels like I feel like I'm in Hollywood or something. All these lights, these right. cameras, you know, it's exactly. cool. It was. It was very yeah. cool, especially in the '70s when everything was enormous and they were still shooting on film. Yeah, yeah. this was this was the dark ages. So I always knew it was something I wanted to do. I went off to college. Uh, did college radio uh, for a few years at Brandeis in Boston. Met my now wife there. Uh, I was the news director. She was the arts director. It was a, a match made in, in college radio. <laughs> and then went on and worked in Boston for a few years uh, and did radio at WBZ and got just a, an absolute beyond graduate level education from some of the absolute best radio news people uh, who have ever lived in the business. You know, you're 20 something years old, you're fresh out of college. And you're writing news copy for the number one morning news anchor in Boston. And every time you write a piece of copy, 10 minutes later, it comes back out of the studio and he slams it on the desk in front of you. Here's what you did wrong. Here's why you're never going to do it again. <laughs> I like you. You worked and, in a Boston accent, too. I like it. <laughs> and, and you know what? You learn quickly. And there, there are phrases I will never use in a piece of news copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I worked with Gary LaPierre at WBZ, and he beat them out of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> severely. May, may How rest cool was peace. it for you? What was the feeling like for you when you would hear your words being read on the air? Because that's, that's magical, too, isn't it? It absolutely was. Yeah. I mean, the idea that here I am, fresh out of college, and you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people driving all over New England are hearing I mean, that's part of the, radio, part of the magic of radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that I think we're losing to an extent now is one person talking to that many people at once. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a great thing that we can have all of these individualized conversations now and that there are so many voices that get to be heard. But that idea, you know, I grew up, I was, I was a Walter Cronkite kid, right? You know, so I grew up, we watched Walter Cronkite every single night in the 70s. I wrote him a letter uh, when I was in elementary school. I was you know, in kindergarten, probably five, six years old. And I wrote him a letter and said, someday I basically said, someday I want your job. <laughs> and he wrote back. Oh, that is awesome. And I, one day I came home from school and there's this thick gray envelope sitting on the, on the table at home with a big CBSI logo on it. And inside is a letter from Walter Cronkite. And it said, someday if you work hard, you two can work at CBS with me. And then rolled up in, the, in this package. This was back when teleprompters were actual paper roll teleprompters. You know, now it's just words that show up on a computer screen. These were actual typed pieces of paper that were glued together to form the 
the, the teleprompter, and they ran in front of a camera, and it was projected on a lens in front of Walter Cronkite. He sent me the actual <laughs> teleprompter roll. I still have it from the CBS Evening Newscast in 1978. Seventy-nine, whatever. Him, it was. By the way, I mean that's that speaks to what a great guy that is. With a, with a handwritten note on the bottom, oh. it said, "P.S. I thought you might enjoy seeing how we do it." Because oh, I think I'd yeah. sent him the script of the newscast we did in uh-huh. in kindergarten. I had the chance to meet him because when I was working at, at WBZ in Boston, we were Westinghouse, and then Westinghouse acquired CBS, and they brought Uncle Walter to town to promote his book. And I brought the book in, and I brought the letter, and I had my mom send it from Rochester to make sure I had it. And I showed it to him. You know, he had no recollection, obviously, of having sent it. But I have a picture of me standing with him holding the letter. He was deaf as a post, by the way. I had to scream at him just to tell him, this is a letter you wrote me when yeah. I was in kindergarten. Really? <laughs> I worked with a guy like that once. Brother Weeze was a little deaf. <laughs> Radio <laughs> people, they, you know, get the, they get the cans turned up too loud, too it, long. It, you know, I was in long enough that, honestly, at this point, if I'm in public and there's a lot of background noise, I really have to watch your mouth in order to catch what you're saying. Yep. I, I don't think I got out in time to not, you know, cure myself of hearing loss for life. Working, I think I have a little. Working in public radio, we keep the volume down a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little easier. But, yes, yeah, so I worked I worked in Boston for a few years. And then uh, one day out of the blue, I'm sitting at my desk in Boston. And I was kind of starting to think about, okay, I've been here five years. I don't want to be a news writer the rest of my life. What I want to do and the phone rings at my desk, and this this gruff voice at the other end of it uh, says, uh, Scott Feibush, this is Pete Dobervitz. Do you know who I am? I said, sure, I know who he am, because Pete was one of the legendary news people in Rochester all through the 70s and 80s. Uh, and he had, just a few years earlier, started the what had become the 24-hour cable news channel at what was then Time Warner. Uh, and it was, at that point, it was our news. You know, it's been through so many names over the years, but I was I was there when it was our news. Uh, and it had just gone 24 hours, and he needed an assignment editor. And I guess he had run into my former boss from Boston somewhere and had been grumbling about needing an assignment editor. And my boss had said, you know, hey, there's this guy who worked for me in Boston who's from Rochester. You should call him. A couple of months later, I come back here for an interview, and, and next thing you know, I'm working as an assignment editor at 24-Hour Cable News. It was not, not my finest work moment. That is one of the worst jobs, one of the hardest jobs, I should say, in, in broadcasting. Give it its due. What, what was it? What, what is it that makes that such a crappy... So uh, the, the, the assignment editor in a TV newsroom is kind of the train conductor who keeps all these pieces running and decides, okay, out of everything that we could possibly cover today, you know, who do I have available to cover what? Uh, you know, Back then, you had separate reporters and photographers. These days, a lot of the time, it's one person doing both jobs, which is that much harder. Uh, you had to figure out what equipment was available. At the time, we had one live truck that had a big microwave mast that could only point at Pinnacle Hill. So if you were out of range of Pinnacle Hill, you did not have a live shot from that truck. Nowadays, you do it from these units that just snap on the back of the camera and use a cellular signal and go from anywhere. Uh, but you have to figure out, you know, okay, who who wants to cover what story, who's been following what. You work with the producers to make sure they've got the material that they're going to need for each newscast. It's just it's a, a huge logistics and balancing act, and, and it's tough. The people who are good at it go crazy fast, even so. I lasted 18 months uh, and then had the stroke of luck that one of our reporters decided after I'd sent him out to cover a snowstorm that he did not want to cover. And he came back in trailing a string of expletives behind him into the <laughs> news director's office and basically said he was not covering one more bleep, bleep, bleep snowstorm <laughs> ever in his career, and... He was getting old. He just wanted to go on the assignment desk. 
And so my boss came to me and said, so he's going on the assignment desk. Would you like to go out and be a reporter? Yeah, I would. That was that was not a hard thing to do. So I did that for another few years. Um, and it was it was fun. I am not by nature a TV person. I, I like being able to be in a T-shirt and shorts it's and nice, right? that, not yeah. have to worry. You know, back then I had hair and I had to worry about hairspray and all yeah. of that. Now I'm, I'm bald and it doesn't matter as much. Um, but I knew that was not going to be a lifelong thing for me. And I got out of the business completely for a couple of years. Um, well, can I ask you about being a reporter? Yeah. Uh, the uh, the about act- the actual act of being a reporter. Yeah. Were you doing – was it anything, whatever needed us? So you covered everything from the weather to crime to – Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so, there were you know, in a typical newsroom in a city this size, you know, there are very few beats. You might have somebody who specializes in health stories. You might have somebody who specializes maybe in education. You might have somebody who's like the education consumer reporter. So like your your Berkeley Breen, somebody like that. But yeah, for the most part, whatever happens, and if stuff breaks in the middle of the day, and that's part of the job of the assignment editor too, is to pull people off stuff and redirect them if all of a sudden something happens. So yeah, I could go anywhere from doing some kind of a feature story or covering food or something, and next thing you know, there's a fire or there's a shooting, and you turn around and you pick up the strings on that, and so you you, you, you have to know a little bit about a lot of things. You never get to know a lot usually about any one thing. And we were lucky at the time there at Time Warner that they they believed in doing a little bit deeper than your typical local TV news source. Stories were just a smidge longer, usually. And they let us go a little bit more offbeat sometimes in some of what we did. And so it wasn't just constantly going around and chasing, okay, here's the fire that happened overnight. You know, I know there are people who specialize in doing that, and God bless them, I could never do that. Well, the, the thing that I have always thought about, what I could never do, is that idea of going to a crime scene and putting a microphone into the face of somebody who's grieving in that moment and the and the grief is so fresh their loved one has been murdered minute hours minutes ago hours ago that to me oh i could never do that that is so hard and it's it's one of the things that i really like about where i am now uh, and it's one of the reasons why i've stayed for so long so i got out of the business for a couple of years and was doing mostly freelance writing and then got a call out of the blue from WXXI. The, the then news director, uh, Peter Oglinski, had met me. We exchanged notes out at a story once. And he said, hey, we need somebody to come in and, and fill in. We've got a guy who's leaving. I know you got experience. And it was just, it was a great match. Because they needed somebody who could be there some of the time and had something to do the rest of the time. I wanted to have stuff to do the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't do the fires generally we don't do the shootings we'll do a longer view of it certainly and we'll try to talk about why it's happening we'll try to talk about the effects of it but we're not we're not chasing the breaking news and i I had the opportunity a few years ago uh, to there was there was a a tragedy that affected part of my family plane crash you might remember the the glazers the local developers it's my mom's uh, my mom's cousin I'm sorry. And so I, you know, seeing that firsthand and seeing what they were dealing with and seeing these reporters, a lot of whom I knew, you know, showing up and trying to ask these questions that I knew they had to do what they had to do. But some of it, even for me, felt over the line. And it was really, it was was a little bit of an eye opener for me to see it from that other side. Right, right. 
um, I, and to see the effect. Uh, so in, yeah. in, in my previous job, when I was producing for Wheeze, I would sometimes have to reach out to people in those times, right, in those hours after something yeah. terrible has happened. And it was very difficult. And I did have at least one occasion that's fresh in my mind, but probably a handful of times where somebody was kind of hitting me with the, whoa, whoa, this is way too fresh mm-hmm. and way too close. No, I don't want to go on the freaking radio tomorrow to talk about it, right? And it would make me feel so bad. I felt like such, I don't know what the right word is, Scott, but I guess the first word that comes to my mind, I don't have a great vocabulary, is I felt like a scumbag. Mm -hmm. I really did in those moments. Now, I also had other moments where somebody saw that exact same opportunity as a positive thing. Right. Uh, You know, I want to remember this person in a positive light. Thank you for giving me this, um, this, this, um, you know, this, I guess this spotlight to be able to put this person in the public eye for 10 minutes tomorrow on the radio. And, and that's usually the pitch. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the good reporters who have done this for a long time and know how to do it will phrase it exactly that way. Well, we want to make sure that we present a, a story about who these right. people are. And the thing that I kind of want to let people know, and it's, a, it's something I think a lot of people don't realize, you can always say no. You know, nobody nobody can force you to go in front of a camera or to go on the radio and answer these questions. And the truth of the matter is, and it's kind of a dirty little secret, for me at least, for my days doing this, and I suspect if you were to ask a lot of other reporters, they'd say the same thing. Sometimes you're kind of relieved. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, when, yeah. when you, if you go back to the assignment editor and you say, well, you know, we tried and they didn't want to talk, okay, we'll go do something else. Yeah. You know, it, we're used to it. I don't, people, people, I think, get hardened. I don't know. You know, It would be interesting to talk to some younger reporters now and see how they handle it, especially because I think people have changed so much just in the last 15, 20 years in terms of how accustomed people are to being on camera. I remember doing this in the 90s. You know, People were not as, as comfortable being in front of a camera or a microphone as they necessarily are now. When everybody's making their their own YouTube videos or TikToks yeah. or whatever, you know, it was it was much more awkward, I think, for people. Well, and you had to work harder to get now. people. Yeah. yeah, everyone. We all got our own camera, our own microphone. We've Look got at our... me, Mom. I'm on Polly's podcast. Yeah, Come yeah on, exactly. You know? Yeah, we've got our own show, and yeah. and you know, you, if you start a TikTok or Facebook, whatever it is you're doing, you're basically running your own little you know a publication outlet i guess at that point and exactly. you're right we're all so comfortable with it one one other thing about reaching out to someone in the wake of tragedy um the, in this case i i guess i like to believe that i'm an okay human being but in this case it came through and i i got to see something uh, unfortunate that was kind of sad and basically what it was was it was the boston marathon and we got word that somebody who we knew um, locally had, you know, had a relative who was right there, right? And so um, I call. I did manage to call her. I got her on the phone, and the very first thing I said to her was, "I'm so sorry. This this seems this seems awful, and I'm so sorry. Are, are you okay? Is everyone okay?" And she gave me an, you know, yeah, you know, very tough, but we're, you know, we're we're doing okay. And then I proceeded into my pitch. Hey, you know, tomorrow morning, would you like to blah blah blah? And she told me, she goes, you know, you're, you're the third or fourth person I've heard from. And the first two or three who called me, all they said was, hey, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such. Can we get you on tomorrow? And said nothing about, I hope you're doing okay. Yeah. So you know what? I, I am going to come on the radio tomorrow. And those other people really, really upset me. And that's, you know, like I said, it's a difference between a good reporter and somebody Well, I wasn't a good experience. reporter. I just, you know, I just but was, in that I, moment, I like to think I was a good human. <laughs> in that moment, you were, though. In that yeah. moment, you were doing exactly the things that a, that a good reporter does. And we, 
you know, we are fortunate in this town to have a lot of very good ones. It's exactly the sort of thing, you know, if it were like my old colleague Seth Voorhees, uh, you know, who's still at, at what's now, what is it, this week, Spectrum News 1, I think. <laughs> this week, it's funny. It, it went through so many names. <laughs> it's true. It really is hard to keep straight. You know, it really is. Just, well, we're Channel 9, yeah, it used to be, uh, <laughs> yeah, we used to be GRC, and, and nobody, yeah, and, and then it went through three more names after that, but we... Yeah, yeah, and there are, you know, I'm singling Seth out just because he's, he's the last one left there that I worked with on, on the reporting staff, but, you know, the people who last here, and we're lucky in this town to have had reporters who have stuck around for a long time in a lot of smaller markets now, you don't even get that. People are, are just in and out in a couple of years and never really get to know the community, and it's, that's a loss to, to media. You know, if you want to talk about one of the things that is getting lost as we move forward in, in this in this bizarre new media landscape, that's a huge thing that gets lost is that sense of, you know, here are people who really intimately know what the connections are in this town. And, and you know, that's somebody like an Evan Dawson. I said connections, right? Somebody like an Evan Dawson. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and Megan Mack is exactly, you know, you really, you want to talk to somebody for the podcast? Never mind, I haven't talked to Megan. She is. Uh, it's a good idea, actually. In fact, uh, I am going to be on that show uh, this Friday. I heard you talking about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going to have Evan on right after on this podcast. And you're right, I should just have them both on, to tell yes. you the truth. Because I think that's a perspective probably people don't get to hear from a lot. Uh, obviously, that show is very popular, but people never really. I don't know that we get to hear the two of them at the same time often, do we? So let's No, because she's usually, again, she's usually on when. when yeah. Uh, but she's she is constantly behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Even you know, even when she was on vacation last week, and we tried to tell her, "No, you're on vacation. I'm going to block your number from my phone." <laughs> and you know, every day there were texts. Still, well, just be sure you've got that. No, I didn't have that phone. <laughs> she is. Yeah, I That's could awesome. I, I could go on for hours about. Uh, well, we didn't even get all the way through your career yet. So you, your reporter days end then for Spectrum, yeah. and then what comes next? So after that, uh, yeah, I, I was laying low for a couple of years. My wife had a full-time job working at uh, at the DNC as a copy editor. Uh, and so I was doing a bunch of freelance writing, and uh, we we had a baby. And so I was, I was a house husband nearly full-time for a little while while she was working. And then, yeah, this opportunity came up from WXXI. And that's, you know, in some ways, after a whole bunch of things in the first 15 years or so, then all of a sudden... That's what I was doing, and that's you know, I've been there 17 years now, and it's it's never boring. There's always there's always something interesting, and I'm in there just often enough uh, that there's always there's always something fun for me to cover. They they let me stretch my legs a little bit. I was covering for Beth, uh, who is another one of the just incredibly awesome, experienced media people. You you worked with her right. when she was at WHAM, and uh, and you were working with Louise. So she she was taking a week off, and it was the morning of the eclipse. And I said, I'm going to figure out if we pre-record one newscast and I drive 75 miles an hour up 390 from Rush, I can be out there at the moment of the eclipse and get back here with sound and get back on the air. <laughs> <laughs> and we just made it. You know, stuff like that. It's, a, it's, it's not a huge newsroom. Uh, we're growing. Uh, it's really fun to have City Newspaper as, uh, as a partner now. But it's, it's just it's a, it's a good bunch of, of really solid news people. Right. Of all kinds of levels of experience, and we have everybody. Another one of the the unsung heroes there is Randy Gorman, who also yeah. you go back with from from the Clear Channel days. Who you know the man never sleeps. Yeah, the man lives, eats, and breathes news in town. He really He's, does, doesn't he? You know, he kind of fulfills that function of assignment editor as well as news director for us. And yeah. uh, you know, I'll get in there at. at Four thirty-five in the morning when I'm filling in for Beth, and he's already been up and filing stuff and texting me. <laughs> 
Can we talk about Northeast Radio Watch for a second? I was going to mention, I realized I left that out too yeah, because I've been doing that. That's probably the most consistent piece since 1994 now. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been aware of it since I wanted, I was a kid who wanted to work in radio. I was aware of Northeast Radio Watch. In fact, in that way, to me, you're like a celebrity <laughs> because I remember so, you know, so when, you, when I was on the other side of the door trying to get into radio and felt very passionate about and wanted to be in there so badly, it was websites like that that I would read that made me feel like I was an insider. I was I was reading the inside stuff about radio, right? And that was just an awesome website. And then I think the first time you ever mentioned me, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I think I've made it. I'm on Northeast Radio Watch. You oh, know, I love it. so cool. It was just so cool. How did that start and, and snowball into what it is? Because a lot of people know that website and go to it for news. So this is fibush.com is the website. It has um it actually predates the web, believe it or not. This is how long I've been doing this and how much of an Internet dinosaur I've kind of become. So this goes back to the earliest days of, of Usenet message groups, uh, 1993, 94, and there was a group uh, that was called rec.radio.broadcasting okay. that was sort of this, this first pre-web, proto-Internet Usenet group, you know, for the handful of people in, in the business who had discovered this this early internet uh, and had gotten active on it. And I started, there's there's a, a guy named Bill Pfeiffer uh, who ran it and was kind of coordinating a bunch of people around the country to just, hey, occasionally post what you're seeing happening around you. I started doing what was then New England Radio Watch because he had this program of radio watchers around the country and there were... There were a handful of them. It was never full nationwide coverage. I said there was one guy who was already starting to do Boston. I said, okay, I'll do all of New England. I'm going to spread my wings here. Uh, And so by 1994, I was doing more or less a weekly update. Uh, When I moved back here in 97, I kept the acronym, and it went from being New England Radio Watch to Northeast Radio Watch. And then I think the website I launched as I was leaving our news because it was one of the things I wanted to try doing. At, at that point, there was no paywall in front of it. It was just, you know, if you can afford to donate something, hey, great. Um, but, you know, that became then, okay, every week this column's going to appear here. Uh, and I've been doing it basically, it's appeared every Monday now uh, for, what, 27 years? But how? where do you get all your information from? Because you know everything that's <laughs> happening as it's happening before we knew it and we worked in radio. <laughs> <laughs> there are it's 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 easier now in some ways than it used to be. Well, now um, the jocks will literally tweet. I just got fired. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've got I've got a whole roster of people that I follow on Twitter and yeah. on Facebook. Um, you know, there are there are a whole bunch of other sites that you know at least reprint press releases, so I know I'm not missing press releases. Um, you know, the FCC. When I started doing this, the FCC stuff was not online. There was a there was a printed weekly newsletter that I would get in the mail that was called the M Street Journal that cost a hundred and some dollars a year that listed everything that the FCC had approved or people had applied for or whatever, and I got a lot of the technical stuff that way. Uh, later on, as a freelancer, I would end up actually working for them. I edited a later version of it uh, for a few years. You know, Nowadays, the FCC stuff is all online. There's a phenomenal site called FCC.today. Uh, there's a, a woman named Michelle Bradley who created this wonderful front end basically on the FCC site so all that stuff is available digitally Uh, and then my other secret weapon there's a guy named Lance Venta uh, who started doing this not long after I did and created one of the first web-based 
uh, radio message boards. It was the Mid-Atlantic radio message board, and then it became Radio Info, and then eventually it's now RadioInsight.com. And you think I know what's happening. He is in so incredibly plugged in. <laughs> and so he and I are usually on the phone three, four, five times a day and constantly messaging back and forth. And, hey, did you see who's buying what? And, uh, you know, every every once in a very, very long while, I scoop him on something. Uh-huh. And I was joking with him. I said, I have a little plaque on my wall with with notations of every time I've actually managed to scoop you. But, yeah, RadioInsight.com is, is another phenomenal source. And so he and I have been working very closely together now for, for quite a few years. So obviously having worked for one of the bigger companies for a while, <coughs> I can kind of tell you where information sometimes gets leaked. I figured it out. Tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. But from what I figured out over 15 years is that essentially what happens is executives love feeling like rock stars and in order to feel like rock stars they hang out with their talent and some of that talent are like rock stars i was never in that but a wheeze was or you know in the bigger markets there's all there's a few jocks in every market that are like rock stars right and the executives love going out drinking with them and as soon as those executives get a couple (laughs) drinks in them they tell the talent and then the talent comes in and tells everyone else (laughs) the next morning before we go on the air uh that's that's why you never announce a format change ahead of time to tell it because it will it will absolutely leak and i still i mean there are there are people that i still depend on and i know if something's going on in certain companies you know i've got my cumulus guy who will generally let me know hey this is going out tomorrow you might want to be aware of this Mm -hmm. my town square guy and all of that my favorite would be the email we would get like corporate email yeah and the email would say something like you know, we we will be announcing tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Mm. And then within an hour, it's like oh, yeah. all over the internet. <laughs> Everybody knows. You know what's missing now that used to be a big thing was back in the day, you know, I would just go through and all the newspapers had radio columns. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there were people who actually kept track because it was important enough at that point. You know, readers had the, a much more, uh, a much larger expectation that the newspaper would tell them about these things. and The personalities were bigger. And so it was a big story, you know, like when, when Weez left CMF and, and went over to 95.1, the TV stations were there covering. You don't see as much of that anymore. And we're down to now maybe three or four active newspaper columnists covering this. There's a guy at Newsday on Long Island. There's a guy who does the suburban papers around L.A., but most of the papers that had it. Uh, Robert Feeder in Chicago is another great one who's who's been at it forever, but it's not... It's not like it used to be. It's it's a much more right. specialized field, and I think it's not. You know, I wish I wish it still had as much importance to listeners as it once did, and I'm not sure anymore that we do. And I think the industry has squandered some of that itself. Let's let's do a little. I do want to talk some some future and get into yeah. kind of what you're starting to talk about here and. I think it's stuff people want to hear, and obviously it's stuff I'm interested in talking about. But let's talk a little history, if we could, about specifically Rochester, the pillars on which Rochester Mm -hmm. media was built. Can you give us a sort of a brief education on the big three, TV, newspaper, radio? What are the – what is the – I guess the general history or the pillars on which the whole thing was built in this town? It's all interconnected. A lot of it goes back to Gannett. Uh, some of it goes back to George Eastman. The first radio station in town was a station called WHQ in 1922. So we're coming up on the centennial. Cool. What, pin, what frequency is that? Pin this? the state. It was. It's. It's not anything anymore. Okay. But I but sort. Well, sort of is. So May of 1922. So we've got a centennial coming up in less than a year now. 
Uh, the Times Union, as a lot of newspapers were doing, 1922 was a huge boom year for, for radio. And they put this radio station on the roof of the Times Union building on Exchange Street, and it was a failure. It was a huge failure. The signal didn't get out right. The steel frame of the building apparently absorbed a lot of the signal. They ran it for just a couple of months. Uh, and I tell you, it was March of 22, and then they were off the air by May. And then George Eastman, who always kind of wanted to be the, you know, the pillar of the community and, and support culture, said, you know what? I'm going to buy this equipment that, that ran WHQ. We got a new license, moved it over to the Eastman Theater, July of 1922, puts it back on the air as WHAM. There's a story that I guarantee you will hear next year that says that just like he picked Kodak as being a distinctive name, that he picked WHAM because it's spelled out wham. It was a sequential assignment. The, the then Department of Commerce just handed it out. You know, it came right after WHAL and before WHAN. It, so it was just straight up luck of the draw. It was just straight up. It was, it was a good set of call letters. Uh-huh. Though, right? so, he, so he ran that. Uh, Gannett got back in the game a few years later. Um, they hooked up with a guy who had been their initial engineer, uh, a guy named Lawrence Hickson, uh, who was an experimenter. He owned a radio shop, uh, and he started a station uh, called WHEC, Hick, uh, uh, Hickson Electric Company. Um, and Gannett ended up buying that, and it became the Gannett-owned station, uh, so affiliated with both the DNC and the then Times Union. Uh, both of those stations ended up Moving into TV, once TV starts out, uh, late 40s, early 50s, wham by then, after, after Eastman died, it was sold to Stromberg Carlson, um, which was the giant radio manufacturing and telephone manufacturing company. Uh, and so every time you go over to Radio Social, you know, that was the building. There's a reason they've got that display of radios right in the, in the, in the lobby there. That was where Stromberg Carlson made radios, and that's the reason Channel 8 is right where it is around the corner because that was when it was the first TV station in Rochester in 49. That was the Stromberg Carlson showpiece TV station. It was WHAM TV. That building was called Rochester Radio City. It was occupied by WAM Radio. And what was then WAM TV, which is not today's 13 WAM, but it's the station that became Channel 8. Uh, and, and that's all. By the way, I've heard that before. That's all so confusing oh, to I me. Know. It's, so it's, there was a Wham TV that is no relation to the current Wham it TV. It was the original Wham TV, <laughs> and that was the story. In most cities, the big radio station typically got the big first TV station. Buffalo WBEN got WBEN TV. Uh, it was it was a common thing. Syracuse or uh, Albany rather, uh, Schenectady WGY got WRGB TV. Same deal. And a lot of times they had a monopoly for a few years. Mm-hmm. And that was the case here. That was the only TV station in town for four years. And when WHEC got their station, they actually shared Channel 10 with another station back then. There was a station called WVET, which is now WHTK 1280. They also got a Channel 10 license, and they shared a transmitter, and they just alternated hours on the air, basically. Cool. Uh, and and so yeah, that, that ended by 1962. And uh, can I ask? I've, I've formed a conspiracy theory in my head in the yeah. last 30 seconds. Did the current day Wham take the name Wham because it was established and known, or it, no? It took the name Wham because it was co-owned for a few years with Wham Radio because Clear okay. Channel had gotten into also owning TV. Okay, so they already owned Wham Radio. They bought what was then WOKR. Uh, 13 as part of this giant deal to buy a company that was then called Ackerley. Uh, and so in a lot of their markets, they said, okay, we're going to take these familiar radio brands 
and we're going to transplant them over to TV as well. They did the same thing. That's how Syracuse has a WSYR TV again uh, after a long absence, same kind of deal. Um, so, yeah, that was – and then and then Clear Channel said, you know what, owning radio and TV doesn't give us the, the synergy we thought it would because they were going to move in together at one point. They were all going to build a building together out in Greece and move Channel 13 out of Henrietta. That building Channel 13 is in, is in, in Henrietta. It's another great Rochester media story. That was meant to be a temporary uh, facility. Everything yeah. is intertwined, right? So WVET was on Clinton Avenue across from what became Midtown Plaza, about where the Chase Building, the, the Metropolitan, is now. And they had to move out quickly in 67, urban renewal. They were going to build the what became the Chase Building there. And it had been owned by a consortium of, of competing applicants who all wanted the last VHF TV station in Rochester. And one of those applicants... Uh, was the, the Wilmerite company, the Wilmot family. And they said, okay, if you need to move somewhere temporarily, we've got this vacant building on West Henrietta Road, you know, even more out in the middle of nowhere you can imagine in the 60s than it is now. There had been a, a lens grinding firm or something in there. I said, you can move in there for a little while till we find a permanent place. That was, <laughs> that was 1967. Don Alhart had dark hair and was brand new at the station. <laughs> and here we are now marking his 55th anniversary there, and they are, they are still out there all these years later. But yeah, that was the number three station in town, and then WXXI came on in 66 as the little educational TV station that could, um, and then added radio a few years later and, uh, and grew, and then Channel 31 came along. But the sort of big explosion... Um, you know, FM would be then the next piece of that. There was early FM. We have one of the oldest FM stations in the country here. What's now 98.9 The Buzz has been around since 1939 at the wow. very birthplace wow. of, of FM radio. Um, most of the real rise of FM was 70s and 80s. DKX came on in, in 74. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be marking a 50th anniversary over there before long. So FM radio's existed since 19, you said 39? 1939 there was a man one of the wow. great stories of media one of the, the 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 musical that I will never write in my in my thwarted bid to become a creative <laughs> superstar right and also I can't do music um, but the the story of Edwin Howard Armstrong Major Armstrong who was already this 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 incredibly talented radio inventor as far back as World War 1 he had created uh the invented this technique called superheterodyne that kind of made easy tuning of AM radios possible and, and did military communications during World War I. Uh, got to know David Sarnoff, the founder of NBC and, and RCA. And Sarnoff one day said, can you do something about all this static that you get in AM radio? And Armstrong disappeared to his lab at Columbia University, comes back two years later with these enormous wooden breadboards full of tubes and valves and diodes and stuff and says, okay, I solved it. He had invented FM radio. And Sarnoff didn't want FM to succeed at this point. This is great. Ken Burns did this wonderful documentary called Empire of the Air um, about it. But Sarnoff and, and Armstrong got into this massive personality conflict. Sarnoff wanted to put all of the RCA's energy into, into building up TV instead. World War II intervenes. There's this huge patent fight over, over Armstrong's patents. Ends tragically in 1954 with Armstrong's suicide. And then Armstrong doesn't live to see FM become the dominant radio medium uh. that it became. And there's this there's this thing I, I still I tear up every time I think about it. At the very end of the of the Burns documentary, they're talking about you know it's kind of the postscript, and they're they're talking about how 
um, Armstrong's widow lives long enough to prevail in court over the giant behemoth RCA and gets millions of dollars eventually from RCA. She lives on the New Hampshire seacoast until 1980. She still has the car that Armstrong gave her as a wedding present. And then the last line is, it had no radio. (laughs) (laughs) And it just... What was it that uh, made FM radio finally get over the hump because... It, was it just that it got into car radios? Was that the big thing? That was a huge piece that, that of it. That feels like that would be it. Right? I mean, I yeah. remember, I'm just old enough. You know, my, mom, my mom had the 1973 Olds Omega that was you know 26 feet long, yeah, yeah. <laughs> black black vinyl seats and everything. I remember that having just the AM radio in it. We'd drive around listening to 95 BBF because that's what you did. And then in 1980, she got the, the car with the FM radio in it, and, and suddenly there's PXY and, and yeah. there's VOR. That was a big piece of it. There were some improvements in, in receiver technology and antenna technology that uh, that allowed for um, radios not to drift in tuning as much. You, know, you could you could dial in a specific frequency and have it stay there. It was much better. There were changes in antenna polarization that, that allowed you to drive around in a car and, and get cleaner reception. Uh, and you know when it happened, it happened fast. You know, BBF owned the top forty market in this town, right, all through the sixties and seventies. And then by nineteen eighty two, it was doing talk radio, and now it's PXY and it's Q ninety two. It was it was a tremendously fast transition when it happened. And mm-hmm. you know, it's, and, and both of these technologies now. I mean, the idea that you could have an AM radio that was built in nineteen twenty one at the dawn of AM radio. And you could turn it on now, and you can listen to me still on AM 1370. What other technology can you use that's still current that's like that now? It's, right? it's unreal, and it's magical, and it's beautiful to think about that, that, that you're on the same frequency that someone was on 100 years ago. But then also maybe to transition into the talk about the future of media, it also has to be what is fragmenting media so into so many little pieces because I remember in high school getting a discman that I could that I could plug into my car radio and then listen to my songs that I had illegally downloaded onto a CD, right? Burned onto a yeah, CD. Absolutely. And and that was a game changer for me because now it I was no longer at the mercy of the radio. It was what do I want to listen to right now? The possibilities are endless. And then more recently over the last decade or so when all of a sudden I could Bluetooth my phone to my car and now I am my own I guess for lack of a better term program director of what I'm going to listen to in my car and I've got every talk radio station on every topic I want on demand every song you've ever heard of on demand and boy it just over the last 10 years there were many times most of the last 10 years I spent working in radio where I would be driving in my car doing the thing that was killing radio listening to whatever I wanted and thinking to myself, oh, this, this isn't good for, for this industry. I mean, is yeah. that has it just been technology? What's, what has done what seems to be happening to current day media? I mean, you, you nailed it right there. And you wonder now in retrospect, you know, did I, did I live on, on PXY and, and Q92 and CMF as a kid because they were that good? Or did I live on those stations because that's just what was there, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was there was certainly that idea that, you know, at one time this was this was the gatekeeper. And there was this, in retrospect, very artificial scarcity 
that in every in any given community there were five, six, maybe seven choices of mass appeal radio. There were good things about it. It meant that you had to speak to everybody in a way, you know, and I think there's something that's lost there with the idea that, you know, one time if there was a topic of importance in Rochester, everybody at some point would turn on WHAM and listen to it. Didn't matter where you were on the political spectrum, didn't matter very much demographically. I mean, you were never going to be a huge Wham listener when you were 20, probably. But if there was a snowstorm, you know, it was the same thing. WBZ in Boston was the same deal. Everybody, when there was a snowstorm, had to turn us on because in 1992, that was the way you were going to know that your kid didn't have school that morning. And we had this massive snow closure operation going. You know, now that's gone too. Now you get the, the reverse phone call and you get the text message. And so all of these things that only we could do in radio have gone away and so the question now becomes to some extent okay if you still have this scarce thing you know if we are still one of the only eight nine ten places in town that can put up one transmitter and at least in theory be heard by seven hundred thousand people in monroe county at once and it's still a tremendously efficient technology if you think about it nobody needs a monthly subscription the radios are still free the technology is simple to implement Almost everybody still has some sort of radio, but even that's going away. And even now in cars, which is really scary if you think of yourself as being just in the broadcast radio business, you know, what do you do now that stands alone? And it's why you're seeing in some cases, uh, like there was, I mentioned Radio Insights. So, so there was a great piece that Lance just did recently looking at the different ways that two of the big companies are handling top 40 radio. And iHeart, uh, which which owns KISS 106.7 here, has realized, perhaps a little too late, that they think that local talent now is actually going to be one of the things that they need to work harder to develop. And not necessarily local, local to just one community, but at least talent that is specific to them, that has a voice, that has some experience, that's had a chance to build up through a little bit of a farm system. So they are they're, they're starting new afternoon shows where they had gotten rid of afternoon shows and giving some of their better talent weekend shows to develop themselves more nationally. Odyssey, which used to be called Entercom, which owns PXY, among other stations, they're going completely the other way, and they're saying, you know what? Radio is one of the last mediums that is still doing all of this locally in a world where everything else is national. You know, there's no local buyer who is specific to the Henrietta Walmart. They're getting the same merchandise that's showing up in Scranton, that's showing up in Spokane, that's showing up wherever with only maybe small regional differences. They say, okay, if that works for Walmart, that's going to work for Radio 2. And so they're pushing towards a much more national idea where, you know, if you turn on PXY now, they haven't quite done it yet, but I think it's coming, where you'll hear exactly the same stuff middays, for instance, on a PXY that you will hear on their top 40 station in San Francisco theory being every other form of media now is is national mm-hmm. you know you're watching the same netflix shows you're reading the the same twitter accounts right mm-hmm. no it's it's absolutely true i mean I, I lived through a lot of this i remember yeah. the 2009 layoffs that clear channel yeah. did and they laid off the program director and i remember being called in and assuming i was being laid off and being told no you're, you're being kept we're going to keep you in fact you're going to be the point person on kiss 
oh, okay, who else is working on Kiss? Well, no, it's just you now. Yep. Oh, that makes me the program director? No, not so fast. We have this other thing that we're going to start rolling out called Premium Choice, they call yep. it. And they said, so basically, we're, we don't do music anymore. <laughs> we're just going to, the playlist is just going to float in there. We need you to update the promos. That's what you're going to do. And that was, boy, that felt like it, Scott, can I tell you what it felt like? It felt like someone had went into the studio and just turned the lights off and went, that's just going to kind of do its thing now. Yep. We'll check that room once in a while. And boy, that really, I, I guess for lack of a better term, I'm not as articulate. I hate sitting across from people smart as you because I just feel like such a dummy. But for lack of a better term, as someone who really wanted to be in radio for many years and was in it now and was hungry, hungry to do everything they would let me do, the fact that they would just turn the lights yeah. off pissed me off so much. It was so upsetting to me. So that, I'm, feeling, that, I'm feeling that right now. So as yeah. we're recording this, I, I, was, I was hurrying back to Rochester this morning. I, I, spent, I spent last night as, as we're recording this on, uh, what day is today? Tuesday? Wednesday? Tu- Tuesday, Tuesday, yeah. I lost track. This yeah. <laughs> so I was actually down in Oneonta this morning mm-hmm. where they've had the you know, same radio station that was the voice of Oneonta for years that got bought up and sold and bought up and sold and ended up as part of a larger conglomerate. And the morning guy there, this guy named Big Chuck, held on for years. And the rest of the station all just became satellite-fed sports talk and automation. And Big Chuck kept doing his morning show, the morning marathon with Big Chuck. And he had all of his segments and all the community people. And Big Chuck decided a couple of weeks ago that he was in his 70s and he was ready to retire. And this morning was Big Chuck's last show. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's great. I mean, the, the state senator was down there giving the proclamation and all of that. And I was chatting with the only other person who was live on the air in that building, and there are something like seven or eight radio stations coming out of that building in the morning, and it's just one other woman who's live on one of them and tracking a couple others. And I said, so they're not, because nothing, nothing had been said publicly, I said, they're not going to replace Chuck, are they? And she said, no, it's just, it's just yeah. going to. But part of what she said, which is interesting, was part of it is you can't replace somebody like that. Okay. And I don't know that that's completely true, but I think that what has happened is that the people who would have gone into that role, even a few years ago, are realizing that it's probably more fulfilling for them and that they can probably end up reaching more of the people that they actually want to talk to by doing something else, whether it's what we're doing right now <laughs> with a podcast, whether it's getting involved. You know, there are there are we're fortunate here. There are four good low-power FM stations in town that have lots of community involvement and have people doing all of these quirky shows that, you know, maybe any one show only has a few dozen people listening at a time. But God bless a place like Wayo or a place like Rochester Free Radio uh, or a place uh, like like El Podero Latino, which I work with. I help them out a little bit over at at Ibero, speaking to the the Spanish-speaking community here in town. You know, these voices are there, and to some extent, yeah, they're on FM radio, but you don't need FM radio anymore to reach some of these more niche communities, and you don't necessarily even want it anymore to the extent that, you know, we could stretch out if we wanted to, not that we're going to do three hours here, but there's no time clock. If I'm doing connections, you know, I'm looking at the clock and I'm saying, well, 5720, that music bed is going to roll no matter what. And this conversation has to wrap up by 5820 because that's the end of this show, whether we've had 15 minutes of stuff to talk about or three hours worth. 
That's right. And we could do three hours or we could take this thing right now and we could download the police blotter uh, app and we could go chase breaking news if we wanted to yep. and then push it immediately out to pi- I mean, it's changing like technology has changed it and I want to move on to newspaper and TV a little bit and get your thoughts there but you know radio so that there were two things radio obviously the music side of radio and then the talk side of radio which was where I ended up getting to and I enjoyed being in that very much but even over there there were constraints it felt like yep. that were coming on to us that were just that were just unbearable that were our competition was so I remember sitting in the Wii studio and thinking you know what's our competition right now and you know my managers would say well your competition CMF and I would go no our competition is the guy in the car who doesn't even think of FM radio as a yep. as a as a as an option because he's got his podcast or his Spotify or something and who sometimes <laughs> can't even find <laughs> FM radio I rented a car Lance I mentioned Lance Venner he and I were traveling a, a month ago this car we rented, we lucked out and got a BMW off the rental car lot, which was awesome, until we went to the touchscreen for the radio. It's <laughs> yeah. like, we've got to press six buttons just to get down a menu, oh, even yeah. to find FM radio. I have a 2021 vehicle, and radio was like, I do, you have to search for it. It does not, you know, the, the radios now are smart in cars. The first thing it says is, okay, you want to connect to your phone, right? Right. And I can say no, and then it'll go, well, what do you want, Sirius XM? And I'll go, no, and it'll go, well, do you want one of these apps? And I'll go... Yes, one of the apps, and then one of the apps will be FM radio. Yeah. <laughs> like it's crazy; they've actually made it hard to find FM radio. That's that's what what was I felt like what was hurting us so bad. Which is which is part of why the big broadcast companies that have thought this stuff through carefully have recognized yes. as 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 has uh, you know, a lot of public broadcasting like WXXI. You know, we are not a broadcaster. We speaking generically. I'm not speaking obviously for XXI yeah. here, but you know, we are not a broadcaster. We are a creator of content, and we are going to distribute that content over whatever platforms are out there to distribute it on. And so, as those platforms shift, we can change where we are. And you mentioned newspapers. You know, this is something that Gannett has tried to do with the DNC, that, that all newspapers have tried to do with, with various forms of success. TV stations, too, for that matter. The, I remember, um, you know, I so I'm with you, right? So I think of it that way, too, and I think of my business this way, too, and that is I want to be where you are. Where does Scott shop? That's where I want my sauce to be, right? And so I would think of radio the same way. Where does somebody listen, make a decision as to what they want to listen to? Because the idea of listening to something is not going away. That still exists. People are going to be in their cars, and they're going to listen to things probably forever, right? So uh, we, we need to be where they are. Right when they go to make that decision, they pick up their phone, they swipe up, and they go to make their audio decision. We need to be right there. And uh, we were just sometimes at odds with that because they would say, well, we are. We're the iHeartRadio app. And I would go, kind of, yeah, I mean, I get where you're going with that. But a lot of people use Apple Podcasts. So shouldn't I just take our first segment of the morning and immediately push it out on Apple Podcast every morning? Because you're right. We're content creators. So we come on the air at 6 a.m. We go to break at 6.15. We've, now we've created 15 minutes of content. Should I not take that 15-minute content we've just created and immediately push it onto Apple Podcast? No. We're iHeartRadio. And I would just go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. And so that was, I don't mean to rip off old scars right now. No, and I didn't intend always, to. And, and, and there's always <laughs> that conflict. I mean, we see it in, you know, in public radio where NPR at the national level, you know, has their app that they want to draw people to. And the local stations would like to have people find them sometimes. Yeah. 
in other places and we're still we're still sorting that through and it's it's you know it's one of these things that has gotten lost is that idea you know the the, the Walter Cronkite one voice speaking to everybody we don't have that now yeah, yeah. and it's harder now you know I can't imagine for people getting into this now yeah to never have had that experience of I'm talking to everybody. It's one of the reasons I like sitting in for Evan. I know I'm not reaching everybody in the community, but it's as close as you come to reaching most of the influencers in the community mm-hmm. at once, right? That's true. Let's go to newspaper. Let's go to TV for a second. I'm sorry, I got you. I, I gave you like a giant jug of water. My wife was making fun of me because I poured you essentially a trough <laughs> of water. <laughs> I'm going to make my way through it. Well, where do we go? <laughs> so let's go to newspaper and TV for yeah. a second. I want to ask you, we don't necessarily have to do the whole conversation we just did about radio. Obviously, yeah. that's where I'm a little bit more well-versed, but the other two, too. Let's just go throughout the three of them. It, you tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I just make shit up, okay? Excuse my language. Hmm. Uh, newspaper from what I can tell, appears to be in the worst shape of the three. Maybe followed by radio, and then TV, I think, is maybe in a little worse shape than people realize it is. And and probably doing the best of the three, but am I far off base by thinking of that? You're like, not far off base. It's, um, you know, with newspaper, it's a very localized thing in some ways. Uh, you know, the difference, if you, if you pick up on any given morning the print edition of the Rochester DNC, and you also pick up the print edition of the Buffalo News, you're in completely different worlds. Mm-hmm. Because Gannett Corporate, you know, none of these were local decisions made in Rochester at all, but Gannett Corporate decided some years back to just completely de-emphasize the print edition. You know, they, they as much as said sometimes in the in the publisher's columns, you shouldn't even be reading us in print anymore. That's for dinosaurs. We're going to be all digital first. And they have, you know, I don't want to knock, they've got some phenomenal reporters over there. They do, yeah. Some of the best people in town digging into stories, the, the Gary Craigs, the Justin Murphys, uh, some of the newer reporters, Adrian Walker and some of the other newer reporters have come along there, are phenomenal. But the process of getting that to readers, they've had a really hard time figuring out because they, they at one time, it had enormous print penetration. And they really just kind of threw that away without realizing they were doing it, and they moved the deadlines up super early. And they've tried now to kind of bring a little of that back, and it's too late because they lost a, a lot of the loyalty of readers in the process, they were ha- they were hampered with this web platform that you know is full of pop-ups and is hard to navigate. And so, even though they're putting out great work over there, you know, my sense now is the best way to know what they're doing over there anymore is just to follow their individual reporters on Twitter, which is where I find scintillating content. Yeah. Because you're right, I don't know that I spend a lot of time at democratandchronicle.com and I don't know, actually we do have a subscription so I should say, but I don't know, my wife essentially has the subscription and I, but I love following Gary Craig, Will Cleveland, yep. Tracy Will, Schumacher, Will, Georgie, yeah. I mean name them all, every one of them. Yep. I follow them on Twitter and when they do a thread of the court case they're following, the case they're, I am reading it. Oh, the, my God, yeah. But how do you monetize it if you're them? And they're trying and struggling to figure that out, and they, they're putting out products that I think nobody locally sometimes even sees. The print edition of the Democrat and Chronicle is assembled some, somewhere else. A lot of times, especially early in the week, is full of articles that are just of no relevance to anybody here just because they're available somewhere in their content system. And so you get some long article about, I mean, literally there's one about, hey, they're putting in new bike repair stations on the Canal Trail in Ilion and Herkimer. 
well, okay, great that you own a newspaper in Herkimer. Nobody here cares. You know, they were on a, a trend for a while where half the stories that were in the print edition were coming from Westchester County. Somebody in Jersey apparently thinks that we hang out with Westchester County people. <laughs> no, this is Rochester. We're different here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I think it underestimates how much people in Rochester, you know, we give a shit about Rochester news. Anything else can go hang as far as most of us are concerned. Yeah. And we know, and I think there's a sense, I know I feel insulted sometimes when I look at the print edition of, of the paper. And it's like, why, why do you think I care about Steuben County? I don't. Yeah. Show me what's local, focus on what's local, and give these great local people this opportunity to shine and show what they do so well. And I, th- I, I suspect that they are frustrated, too. They're not allowed, obviously, to say so. And they are very, very circumspect about it, I think, for good reason oh, yeah. on social media. I get the impression most of them don't even look at what's in the print publication anymore. <laughs> and I, I suspect, especially for the old-timers, probably because they find it kind of heartbreaking. I know I do. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they do. So let's not just go negative here, Luska. Well, let's fix it. Because they've got – I look at it, and I look at the brand. I look at – they've got a brand. Democrat and Chronicle is a brand. People like and trust Democrat and Chronicle. Within that brand, they've got products. They've got Gary. They've got Will. They've got Tracy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They've got products that people want to use. They want to follow Will and mm-hmm. Gary, and they want to read their content. So the paywall model, maybe it's working, maybe it's not. I don't know. Here's a link to this story I just wrote. I click on it, and I'll pay my dollar to read that article. I think they might – how do you fix it? I think I have an idea. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to? Here's here's what I think. I think in some sense it's already too late because of some of what they've squandered. I think what is missing industry-wide is some sort of a system of, you know, like a, an, an overarching subscription of micropayments where, you know, if I pay twelve ninety five a month for Netflix, it doesn't matter what specific shows or movies I want to watch. You know, it's, it's here as part of this menu and... Presumably, you know, the more often that I watch a popular series, the more of my dollar ends up getting allocated to produce that. If what's left of the newspaper industry could come together and do something like that, if I could pay 15 a month for newspaper app. And so if somebody sends a link, oh, that's in the Chicago Tribune, okay, now the Tribune gets a quarter, whatever. Yeah. You know, that would that would get us a long way, but it's a habit that once broken is really difficult to build back. It's it's you know it's it's hard it's bad thing about my generation and the generation below me. We're impatient and we are easily distracted and we don't want to do a lot of work. When Will or any of those reporters I named go on Twitter and they do a 10 tweet long thread, that's amazing. But the business side of me says that's great, that's a phenomenal product. This has earned my follow and I will read this but you haven't made money from me yet. Mm. How do you make money from me? And that, the only way to do that is, is maybe to put it behind a paywall. But then you piss people off because now people got to sign up and I've already got 14 subscriptions. I'm already paying yeah. $12 a month to 14 other things. Do I want to add your thing to that list? And so the thing that I have come up with is the Apple Pay, the way that Wegmans just lets me go into their store with my phone and double or triple click on the side of my phone and then beep, there I go. I've got my. I've paid for my groceries. 
I believe that if Will was able to take that and say, here is a link to my content. He's already kind of doing this. Here's yeah. a link to my content. It's behind a paywall. But instead of having to sign up for a monthly thing, I can literally just double click and pay my 99 cents right now to read that right now. One time, no commitment, $1 right now. Same way you would want to have paid a quarter for a copy of the paper if there was exactly. an article in it. Yeah. Exactly. That's where I am at with newspaper. Yeah. Do you think I'm crazy? Or? No, not at all. Okay. And I, you know, I, I think that that's going to be a big piece of it. And I think, unfortunately, because we have so conditioned people to expecting all of this to be free that unless you're making it just an incredibly persuasive case and i think you know you see people like will making that case you know and i i would i would never not subscribe because i want to be able to read what he writes i want to be able to read what gary writes but then you know mary chow who used to be another one of our brighton neighbors here went to another Gannett newspaper in North Jersey, a paper whose articles show up all the time in our print edition, whether we want them or not. And then she's posted links to stuff that she's written specifically for that paper that I really want to read. But I'm already paying Gannett. I'm not going to pay them again yes. just to get access to the Bergen record when I'm already paying for the, for the Rochester DNC that half the time might have that same content in it. They haven't solved that problem yet, much less... Now what if there's something I want to read in Syracuse, which is owned by somebody else, or Buffalo, yeah. which is you're not going to pay all those twelve dollars subscriptions, and I and I yeah. don't think you should have to, and they can't no. expect you to. No, that's that's okay. So let's go to radio, and then we'll finish with TV. So let's fix radio. <laughs> <laughs> we'll solve all the world's problems in this living oh, room today. Oh man, I, there there are some things at this point that are probably beyond fixing. I don't think at this point, you know, AM radio has matured completely. It's 100 years old. It is not going to get any younger. It is not going to get any more successful. The stations that still have audiences like Wham! on the AM radio platform aren't going to lose them immediately, but you can see that demographic train coming at them. And, you know, all the equipment at most AM transmitter sites is old. The towers are old. They need replacement in a lot of cases. They need upgrading that are investments that aren't going to be worth making. We're going to see a point, it's not going to be next year, but it'll be 5, 10, 15 years, where a lot more old AM radio stations just start turning off, I think, or end up spending a few years maybe as very niche operations for very specific niche communities, foreign language, religion, what have you. What worries me is that FM right now, for all the reasons that we've discussed with, with being able to, to have platform access, it's headed down that same path. You know, there are, a, you, you probably have a radio somewhere in this house that can receive FM radio just by turning it on, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody in their 20s probably doesn't. Mm -hmm. Can I actually tell you the truth? You don't. I just lied to you. I don't have. Yeah, <laughs> I have my phone. <laughs> yeah, and you're listening. you're in your late thirties, right? <laughs> well, my co my co-host is coming down the stairs. If you hear it in the background, no, any, any podcast uh, with a dog in it is uh, Oxford. The English bulldog is here. <laughs> hey, Oxford. <laughs> I could I could have brought Sadie the Brittany over. And we, could, uh, we could all have had fun together. But no, no, I don't. I we do not have. And a that's radio. you know we have I, Alexa and we have our phones. Yep, and I guarantee you, if uh, you know if, if Simona were here and we asked her, mm -hmm. I would bet you a large sum of money that she doesn't. And so then it becomes an issue of, okay, you know, to what extent can we take what we do and make it appealing enough that somebody is going to ask their smart speaker to play us? I think the value proposition that we make in public radio with the amount of content that we're pumping out will probably get you there. If you're a generic music station that's not doing anything 
that otherwise endears you to the community, that's a tough sell in 2021. What's that going to look like in 2031? So of the four things we're going to talk about, and I say four because there was the newspaper conversation, there will be the TV conversation, and then radio I split down the middle and I say music radio and talk radio. I don't have an answer for music radio. I think that's just over. I don't. It's, I just don't have anything to say for that. It's a tough thing. You know, I, I look at my, my daughter is 17. She just graduated uh, from high school. And for a couple of years, she had a radio in her room. And she was actually listening to Top 40 Radio by the time she was about 14. And she got her phone. That was over. Right. And her, you know, she's huge into music discovery. She introduces me to a lot of stuff. She's not getting that from radio her generation will never get that from radio. And so, you know, unless you can make either a connection at a very, very niche level, hey, Oxford, <laughs> and you can connect to a very, very small group of music fans. You know, my wife does a, a show on Rochester Free Radio that is very specifically about the Beatles. Is he bothering you? My no, dog not is, at all. My dog is all over I Scott right dogs. now. Um, <laughs> you know, so her, her show caters to a very niche audience of Beatles fans and she reaches out to them on social and, and keeps them going that way. There is room still at that end and there is room at the extremely macro end. If you have an entire national platform like an iHeart or an Odyssey that can still do the kind of big events that says, okay, you know, we can be your source for a brand new music rele release from an artist, right? Mm -hmm. But at that at that middle piece of it, Ryan uh, Oxford is accosting uh, Scott. At the low, it's fine. Right. I'm 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 into this. This is I'm I'm enjoying the doggy love. He's attacking here. Scott. No, I'm this sorry. is excellent. No, call my at wife. that at that middle level, Scott's a professional broadcaster, by the way. So this is very unprofessional. <laughs> I have <for> <laughs> I have had much 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 more distraction. No, but at, at that at that middle level, yeah. you know, in a market the size of Rochester. You know, there's never going to be another Scott Spazano. There is never going to be another Dave Kane. You know, those right. those jobs just I don't I don't see them being there. Yeah, it's it going it, forward. It's, it's with, with you know with, I don't know. I mean, uh, again, it was I, a good run. I hate was, to turn it back to talk about myself ever, but that was a big part of my decision. Was I was going this? There's no there's no spot for me to slide into here. Like you know, it's not there anymore it's there is not. there is a lot more future in making a really good spaghetti sauce <laughs> yeah <laughs> than there probably is in trying to do much in the way of, of medium market radio and it's you know it's sad the stuff that gets lost think of oneonta when people in in, in otsego county turn on their radio tomorrow morning if they are of that age and given the demographics down there a lot of people are of that age where they want to know you know when's the 4-h dinner What's the new school superintendent doing? You know, I want to hear from the guy who just took over at the head of the Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, Big Chuck's not going to be there, and there's not going to be another Big Chuck. And, and you know, it's it, there's no given. It's great that you're doing this podcast and bringing these voices on because there's not always an opportunity. You know, I, I say this. This gets me into my pledge drive shtick and, and, and the, the model that we use for fundraising in public radio, you know, we're very lucky to have a local show for two hours every day and to have Evan giving those platforms that he does because there are cities that don't have that. Right. And big cities that don't have that. And then what do you do? Right. I look forward to Evan's going to be on, on next week. And I yeah. actually, I, re I really look forward to talking to him I'm about to how he's developed over that show over the years. Um, for, for again, as I said, for music radio, I don't really have an answer. For talk radio, I think I talked about it earlier. My thought was... Let's take this content as we're creating it 
and let's pump it out into every single possible platform so that when I get in my car in the morning as a consumer and I go to whatever my listening choice is, whatever that app might be, whether it be Apple or Spotify or iHeart, whatever it is, I'm getting hit in the face immediately with the options. It should say right as soon as I open up my app, it should say, and I just keep using Wee as an example because that's my boy. But, you know, it should say Wee's talks bi- about the Buffalo yep. Bills. Wee's talks about the crime in Rochester. Wee's jokes about his wife's hair appointment. Mm-hmm. You know, and I should just have my choice of being able to click on those segments. And uh, and they don't I, they, they're not really doing that. And, and they yep. didn't seem at least I, not for me. I'm a year and a half removed. So I don't know what's going on right now. But a year and a half ago, at least there did not seem to be any sense of urgency to make that happen. No, and it's you know it's tricky when they're trying to push their one particular platform because look what we've uninvented. We had we had one platform. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a radio. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew what Wham was. Everybody knew who Weez was, and now you've got to have twelve different things going to keep track of it all. And now you've got to follow fifteen different reporters instead of following one newspaper to get everything that they're doing and to find out you know not only okay what's already been published but what are you working on in the moment. Right, right. Yeah, and people people will give me shit also because I didn't explain how you make money with that, but I think that one's a little more obvious. I think you, you can put ads into your segments. I mean, if we're going to take the 14 minutes that we talked about the Buffalo Bills and we're going to put that onto our podcast platforms, we're going to sneak an ad at the beginning and at the end and maybe in the middle of that. Yeah, but here's yeah. the challenge. Ask anybody who's trying to make revenue that way, and they'll tell you that here's what that fragmentation has done on that sure. end. Sure. Is that before, you know, if an advertiser, if Bob Johnson Chevrolet wants to reach everybody in Rochester, you know, they used to just be able to buy time on Wham, and Wham could sell it for, you know, what, probably 70, 80 bucks for 60 seconds during morning drive back in the day when everything is fragmented. It reduces the value of that advertising, and then you're right back in, in, you know, you either play ball with Google or you try to go out and sell it yourself for a buck a pop, and that's... You know, thankfully, that's not a part of the business I have to spend a lot of right. time because it would, it would be incredibly frustrating too. Well, one one thing I will say about you know podcasting is that you have real numbers to sell, as opposed to something I remember in radio was you're dealing with smoke and mirrors. You know, mm-hmm. you're dealing with ratings, and three different radio stations will walk into the same advertiser and say, "Look at these numbers. We're number one according to these numbers," and they're all pointing at something slightly different some different demo or some different day part and they've made it look like they're number mm-hmm. one and whereas in podcasting it's like i have literally i have 1644 mm-hmm. people listen to last week's episode so what is it worth it for you scott if you're selling five bush sauce <laughs> yep I, I will go tell people about five bush sauce will you give me 10 cents per person that i tell well i told 1644 people i do see that there's some tangibility there yep. that current radio didn't really have that could and I've never tried it though, so I am talking a little shit because I've never actually tried. I've actually vowed not to try to ever mm-hmm. make money off this, so I don't know. But there's the but there's the challenge on the advertiser side of it. If I'm selling my sauce, you know, rather than just being able to go to the one big radio station in town that hits everybody, you're putting an ad in the paper that hits everybody. You know, okay, I can go to you and get your one thousand six hundred and forty four people, and you know, I can go to somebody else who's doing their podcast and get their eight hundred and twenty two, and by the time I've gone through the trouble of trying to put that all Pain together but you're right you know maybe we're inventing something right now there needs to be like an agency that does that that, that connects that with that get some get some people who've done media buying in here and talk about huh, that that's, that's a good uh, one okay let's end with tv 
Let's fix TV. Okay. <laughs> we haven't so, even gotten to talk about. You got to have me back now to talk about the fun stuff that I. Do. Oh yeah, we got to talk about stand-up comedy. We can do that. This is just the serious stuff. You got to. We got to do a whole other thing now because we're we're going long. Here. Okay, so so uh, let, let's talk about. I do want to talk. Actually, I do want to talk a little bit about you doing stand-up comedy for sure. But let's just stick with the thought of mm-hmm. let's go to TV. What kind of shape is TV in? This is the one of the three that I think I'm the least educated in mm-hmm. as far as what's going on. What kind of shape is TV in right now? Boy, this is, this is a little outside my direct expertise anymore. What has happened with local TV is that if you think radio has become consolidated, local TV has become consolidated. We are at the point now where you go from market to market, and there are basically a half dozen companies that own most of the significant TV stations around the country. Maybe it's a little more than that when you include the stuff that's owned but directly by the networks. But the same companies, you know, we have Nexstar here, which is now, I think, the biggest owner uh, by number of stations nationwide. We have Sinclair that owns Wham and Fox. And we have uh, a, a smaller company, Hubbard, that owns Channel 10. And then Spectrum, and those same companies, for the most part, with a couple of variations, own all over the country. You go to Syracuse, it's the same players. You go to Buffalo, it's the same players. And the newscasts all pretty much look the same. And the audience that they're speaking to has become increasingly older. Uh, You know, there was a time, again, where everybody sat down and watched the 6 o'clock news together, right? And that doesn't happen anymore either. TV news is speaking to a much older demographic. You know, again, okay, here you are. You're You're not quite 40 yet, right? Not yet. Do you watch the local TV news at night? Not really. Exactly. No. I get at the same space. I get everything else. I do yeah. follow the reporters, yeah. and I watch their stories if they post them on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. And so they're they're facing that, too. And so that is a business that has been very good for a very long time, where, again, that demographic cliff is coming at it, and plus the way that people watch stuff, you know, in part because the cable companies have gotten so greedy you know, if I'm if I'm going to s- cut my cord on Spectrum eventually, and I will at some point, you know, eighteen dollars out of my bill every month just goes to to provide a subsidy to the local TV stations. And when I get rid of Spectrum, I may keep some of the streaming services. They probably aren't giving that kickback back to the local stations in the same way. A guy you should have on at some point if you really want to get deep into the weeds on this. Another one of our neighbors here in Brighton, a guy named Phil Dampier. Okay. Uh, who runs Severe? Looked at Stop the Cap. No, but I will. Oh, after Stop this. the Cap is a phenomenal site. He tracks what all these cable companies and internet providers are doing, and exposes all of the ways that they manipulate regulatory processes and all of this. And he's he's our bright neighbor. He's right down Elmwood from us. Fascinating. Yeah, and he's uh, yeah he he digs deep into this stuff. But you know, it, people are going to be getting these bouquets of some sort of video product still but increasingly in forms that aren't going back to local stations, and there is a cliff coming, and it's going to be a hard cliff. Well, you know, I, I'm getting trouble for talking about this. My wife does PR, mm-hmm. so sometimes I know she's calling on TV stations trying to get them to cover whatever. They'll tell her. They'll be like, we've only got one camera in the field right now. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I literally, I'm like, what? And she's talking about big stations. Yeah. I'm like, she's like, they say they only have one camera in the field right now. I'm like, they have one camera out there right now? Yeah. Like, Holy cow. And we are, for now, comparatively lucky here because we still have four TV newsrooms going, which most most markets this size do not. Yeah. 
But, you know, we've got those newsrooms still going. And, you know, there again, there are, I, I don't want to knock the very good people. Oh, there's great people. Who are at a lot of these stations. But there are also, you know, there are a lot of people who come through and they do their two years until their contract is up. And there, there are a couple of stations where you just you keep seeing that turnover. And, you you know, what do you get? You, you don't get any sense of people who really know the intricacies of the town that they're covering because in two years they're going to be off to somewhere else anyway. Right, right. Stand-up comedy, huh? Yes. <laughs> You've been doing stand I never, I literally never, ever, ever knew you were doing stand-up until I heard you say it on XXI <laughs> this week. This is this is, this is is kind of, for both me and, and for my wife, it's kind of our midlife crisis thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And this is, seriously, we should do, I should come back and I, I should do like a whole a whole hour with you here because there's so much to talk about with this. I would now. love to, but I mean, I just am, how do you get the guts to go so, up there? I'm so fascinated by the by the process of it and, and kind of by what it's done for me mentally because I've spent 30 years you know, in my career, speaking to people from a distance, right? And I, you know, I'll go into a studio and talk to, there are probably, what, 20,000, 30,000 people listening on a good day, maybe, on public radio. And, you know, I can, I can walk in and do that. Talking to 20 people upstairs from John's Tex-Mex on a, on a Sunday afternoon, it's a whole different level of energy. Terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> it's not terrifying exactly. There is, I've discovered... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be 50 next year. My wife started doing this right when she was turning 50. We were doing bar trivia. She had a she went to do trivia at um, at Tin Roof over on uh, on Plymouth and met a, f- a friend there who started doing stand up. And she thought, hey, this might be fun. And I went to see her do it, and she was having fun. And then I thought, hey, this might be fun. And there's a whole kind of DIY community here in town of people who are mostly much younger than than us. Um, you know, at a very different place in their lives, um, but who, you know, who just who enjoy doing this. A few of them make a few bucks off of it. Nobody's getting rich doing it. Are you any good at it? Have you, have you had that is that set? is in the eye of the beholder. If you ask my kids, they will tell you that uh, that I am horrible. <laughs> um, you know, you're not supposed to impress your kids with your stand up <laughs> prowess. I think I think I'm learning. I think there's a lot to learn. I think the pressure probably on me is a little lower at my age because I got nothing to lose one way or the other. I'm not trying to to build a career in this but i discovered that there is this this latent performer in me i did i did high school newspaper stuff i never really got up on stage and i think probably i always kind of wanted to and never realized it and it's just it's a very different way of exercising my brain from going on the radio for an hour i'm having a blast doing it the instant feedback that you get in in real life as opposed to in radio you get you know, you get essentially no feedback because I've actually witnessed the opposite. So, again, with working with Wheeze, we would have stand-up comedians in all the time. And our co-hosts, many times, we had Jamie Lissa, we had Marianne Sierk. These were yeah. um, comedians who, who actually, I saw both of them at one point, have a hard time with the fact that they wouldn't get instant reactions the way they were used to getting. All, the opposite yeah. of what you're experiencing, kind of. Yeah, you know? no, <laughs> and, and absolutely, I mean, it's tough to, you know, there, there's a, a, a huge graveyard of people who have been tremendously funny on stage and have tried to translate that into radio careers, mm. and it's a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And vice versa, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I will, you know, at this point, I wouldn't rate myself as anything much more than a hack. I, <laughs> we, we decided, you know, there's the Rochester's Funniest Person competition, and even if we hadn't been caught up with our daughter's high school graduation and missed the deadline this year, we were talking about whether or not we felt like we were ready to enter it and what it would mean for, you know, the, the 
conflicts in our relationship if we were both trying to go for the, <laughs> the same Rochester's <laughs> funniest. But I'm I'm kind of happy you're not knowing right now in yeah, some yeah. ways. But I I do I crave feedback from it. I'm dying. I've gotten very active the last few months, and you know at the end of the pandemic, I've gotten way more active on Twitter after I decided to kind of go cold turkey on Facebook for a while. And you know, I'm, I'm craving feedback. I'm dying to get more of my, especially some of my younger Twitter friends who I've gotten to know. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get them to come out. We started because a lot of the open mics haven't reopened yet because the bars aren't open yet. So we started doing some shows in our backyard. you got to come over. We're doing a show. Actually, it'll be too late by the time the podcast airs Seriously, for anybody you're doing, else. You're doing a show in your backyard? We're doing shows. This will be the third one. Huh. And there will be more where there was no, you know, it used to be that there was something every weeknight. Yeah. And so on a Tuesday night, if you said, you know, I, I wrote this three minutes of material, I have no idea whether or not it sucks. Let me get up in front of a few people and see if it's anything. And so you could go over, you know, Tuesday it was the firehouse and Wednesday or Monday was Richmond's or wherever. And that was missing for a while. So we said, we've got a nice backyard. We've got a deck. I've, you know, I work in radio. I've got mics. I got speakers. That's not a problem. Yeah. Do you charge for tickets? No, this is, yeah. uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to get fun. in trouble with Bill Maley in oh, the right, town right, right, for right. <laughs> running a commercial <laughs> enterprise in my backyard. We're <laughs> testing the neighbor's patience as it is. But no, so we had probably, I don't know, 25, 30 people. And the best part is all the Rochester comics were desperate for stage time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so tons of people, you know, people who you would have to pay to go see a Carlson at some point. You can come to my backyard and watch them do five minutes a lot of them so we've had fun doing it. we've done two of them so far by the time this airs the third one will have happened but i'm dying i want more of my friends to come out and and, and my coworkers too who probably think i'm nuts at the radio station um you know i want them to come over and i i want the feedback you know if i suck i'd like somebody to tell me actually do, do besides you, my kids when you're some, when you're when you're like when you're new and you're like you say you want the feedback right and i imagine that's the circle you're running in is a lot of people who are kind of just trying to see i've got these three minutes let's see if yeah. it's any good when somebody does suck quite frankly do you owe it to them to tell them like i don't know or do you just kind of politely go nice try bud <laughs> i think to some extent you owe them and i think it depends what they're after mm-hmm. i mean there are there are people in the open mic community you know, who I think are in it as much just for the companionship as anything else. It's a place for them to go and hang out with people, and they get up and they do their thing on stage. And you know what? Bless them. Maybe they're great. Maybe they're not. Maybe that's me, too, and nobody's telling me. I don't know. It could well be. Um, but, you know, I think I think there there's a point probably, and, you know, there will come a point if I if I get to the point where I think, gee, I want to try doing this on a higher level. You know, the, the market kind of speaks for itself at that point. If you don't get bookings. Right. Then, yeah, then it's know, just, yeah. The, somebody's telling you either you've yeah. pissed somebody off, yeah. which in this, <laughs> you know, in the tight-knit community like this is entirely possible, uh, or, hey, you're just really not funny. I'd like to hope that's not me. Who knows? What do you do? And we can, I swear to God, I'll, 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 we can end it with this, but, like, what do you do when, and I've, I've experienced this, so I have some experience. What do you do when you think you've just told the punchline, but nobody laughs? <laughs> That's one of the interesting pieces, because one of the challenges, one of the weird things about this, and like I said, I mean, this is fascinating. This is why I did this show on Connections, because I wanted to explore this in that Connections <laughs> format. And I'm not sure if it was 100% successful, because it's tough to talk about funny. It's a good hour. I like that hour, yeah. Thank you. I, I, yeah. I, I wasn't sure how it landed, because a yeah. lot of it was kind of inside, and it was, you know, it's people in it. But I think it's you know it's weird because at the lowest levels of this, if you go to start out in, in just doing open mics, the people that you're talking to in the room are all other comics. You don't have civilians in there. 
And so you don't get that gauge until you get to the point where you have civilians. This is this is maybe why I'm doing the backyard thing and inviting all the neighbors. I don't know. Cause you want some regular people. Yeah. No, yep. you're, I heard you make that point this week where you're saying all their, most of the people in the audience at the open mic nights are comics who are thinking about, they're not thinking, they're not even listening. They're thinking no, about what they're, they're going to talk and about. I'm, and I'm just as bad. I got my notes in front of like, okay, do I open with that bit? Oh, this worked last uh-huh. time. And somebody's <laughs> up on stage and. You know, if it's if it's funny, I'll laugh, but a lot of it too, because a lot of people work the same material, and it's there's a process to it, and they're, you know, they're they're honing the jokes time and time again. But if it's that same crowd of two dozen people there, yeah, you know, it's tough to get that laugh because I've heard that joke before, right? And I've probably heard you do it better <laughs> before. Maybe I've heard you do it worse before. Yeah. And it's supportive. People people look out for each other, but yeah, it's 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 tricky because you want to have more of a chance to put it up in front of, of civilians and see if it's really anything. And the irony is you don't get to do that until you've kind of proven yourself. Right, right. And you get to the point where maybe you can get a, you know, a third-tier spot at, at a Carlson or, or something like that. So it's, it's a tricky thing to do. I, I feel like I am still very much in the learning process on it. But it's something new. If you had asked me three years ago, you know, what, what are you going to be doing when you're nearly 50? This would not have been anywhere near the top of the list mm-hmm. for me. Well, good for you, man. I love it. Thanks so much for coming over. And I could come in. We could talk about this for another hour. It's we really I'd could. Love to, I'd love to keep to keep digging on this because there's there's a lot there's a lot that I'm still unpacking with it, yeah. especially you know with you having worked with comics on the Wii Show and seeing them in that very different atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. That was interesting. I mean, it was really interesting to watch comedians come in and have varying levels of success on the radio um, because some would come in and the ones who were just who just had a a God-given talent could sit there and be very entertaining for several hours. But then we saw some people who are amazing on stage who, who weren't great on the radio. For I mean, I guess it's all subjective. Maybe some people thought they were great. But there were some people who come in and they weren't great on the radio, but they're amazing on stage. Yeah. And the, So is it so, – so now I'm interviewing yeah. you. So is this a stylistic thing? You know, like I can imagine somebody like a Stephen Wright who's doing the very deadpan one-liners that need the audience to keep building on them. I can't see that working on radio, whereas somebody who does more of like a storytelling... You know how I used to think of it? I used to think of it as telling the jokes versus finding the jokes. Mm-hmm. So basically, Wheeze is Wheeze, and he's going to just go. He's yep. going to do his thing. And the best ones were the ones who would go in whatever direction he wanted to go in had nothing to do with their set. Their set could be about married, being married. Yep. And then Weeze is talking about the war. I don't whatever the hell is coming up. And and they'll find the jokes within his where he's going. Those were the people who were successful. But other people come in and they're like, I tell jokes about being, you know, a, a middle aged white man living in the suburbs and being married. Yep. And my wife is annoying and that those are my jokes. So if you're gonna go anywhere other than married life I got nothing. And I got to try no- to do it at six thirty in the morning. Yeah, that been too. Up until two. Oh God, they would walk in sometimes looking like they barely got out of bed. <laughs> I felt so bad. You know, you know Brian Posehn. Yes, yes. So he's you know he's what six foot seven or something, giant giant comedian. I remember I was flying. I think I was going out to the NAB show in Vegas, and I was getting on a tiny little puddle jumper at the Rochester Airport the morning after he had been in town for a show. Yeah, and he was right in front of me checking in his bag at. 5.30 in the morning after having, and I felt so bad for him. 
you yeah. know, A, because, you know, that lifestyle where you do the show till 2 in the morning, you got to be in the plane the next morning, and then on top of that, being six foot seven and having to oh, God, <laughs> ride yeah. yourself into yeah. that seat. That's, that, yeah. that's kind of my reminder of, you know, I do not necessarily want to be somebody who goes around and tours like this for a living it's well some of them would come some of them came in make make a nice little chunk of change they had some notoriety yeah. and then you know quite frankly there were weeks that were filler more of a filler week where the comic was not a very huge well-known name but they were big enough that they were headline they were making a little bit of money but it was a much different level of comedian i guess is the nice way to put it yeah. and um that there were times when i would look and think about everything they were saying and i would just think about like that's tough what a tough life that is yeah. they've just left their family sometimes they don't have the family a lot of them divorced kids they don't talk to right now they're in rochester for four days yeah. making just enough money to justify being here with nothing to do all day eating free bill grays because that's what yeah. showed up today <laughs> like and, and i would twitter look twitter has exposed some of this you know i mm -hmm. follow obviously a bunch of comics on twitter and now that they're getting back into touring, you see a lot of the tweets about here I am at the Red Roof Inn. And yeah, 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 exactly. And they're not, yeah. that's the other thing. Like, I think maybe sometimes people think they're staying in the nicest suite at the nicest yeah. hotel. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. They are often in the Red Roof Inn on the first floor in a smoking room, sitting next to the window smoking <laughs> like all day until it's time to go to the comedy club. Absolutely. Oh, man. Scott, thanks for doing this. Man. Oh, this I has been so it. much fun. I, I would love to come back and, and do it again. I'm waiting. I'm looking forward to hearing Evan that. Uh, what, do you, what should I yeah, talk to him about? Give me a little prep. What are we going to oh do? Gosh, I want to definitely so want to talk about connections. There is there is so much to talk about with that. I think uh, you know see see if you can get Megan to also do the show. That would be a great she idea. Is, you know, yeah. he'll he'll be the first one to tell you that she is the powerhouse. Yeah. Behind making that show what it is that uh, you know without her it would uh, it wouldn't be half of what it is. Uh, he's he's a twin apparently. Ooh, didn't know that. Yeah, I will should, say there's, that. There's that a tip for you. Get that into the. This into is the show. odd timing because as we're talking, you can you can talk Ohio with him. He's yes. he's kind of from the other end of Ohio from you. But yeah, yeah. Well, the one thing that um, that I don't even know if I should say it on this podcast actually because I don't know if he's going to say it on the air. We have a weird timing thing going on where you and I are talking right now, prior to when I'm going mm -hmm. on his show, <laughs> but y nobody's going to hear this conversation between the two of us until after i've been on his show so it's weird but um another fun fact with him is that dawson is not his real last name and that's part of the topic that i'm going on to talk about get, get him going on that <laughs> yes too? absolutely well that's yes. a big part of the topic we're going on to talk about is culture we're going on to talk about culture and how culture gets lost over generations in a situation like that's kind of something simona and i had talked i heard about. that that was a great conversation i was thinking about yeah. that i was in buffalo the other night with my son who's 13 and i was driving him around uh what's now kind of a, a cruddy area just east of, of downtown buffalo and telling some of the stuff that i've researched about the early Fibushes back in the 1860s who came to buffalo from somewhere in what's now poland was then russia and and mm -hmm. fascinating that whole story I and mean, we can talk about that too sometime too about going from nothing to to decent success in one generation it's so many great American stories. That's, that's part of why I love doing talk radio. Talk to Evan about that too, about just some of the stories he gets people to tell, and the the you know everybody's yeah. got a story. We need we need more of those voices. So many more of them need to be heard. One of the funny things. I'll leave you with this. I swear. I know <laughs> I've threatened that before, but one thing I do want to talk to him as I do listen to his show quite often now 
did not prior to when I left radio. Then I I kind of found him. I knew, of course, I knew about the show and yeah. would listen sometimes. But then after I left radio, and I was and I'm at my factory, I'm at my plant, and I've got time to myself. Sometimes that is what I'll pop on is his stuff, and a couple of times. And of course, there will never be any names mentioned because I don't mm-hmm. want to do that. I've heard difficult guests just. You know what it's like. You ever interview somebody and the answer they give you, you'd be like, so tell us about being a rocket scientist. And they'll be like, it's great. There was <laughs> one of one of those shows last week. I'm not going to name names. There was one where I, I was going back and forth with, with our producer on the on the text chat about why aren't they just answering the question? <laughs> <laughs> you go, it's great. Can you get? Can you elaborate on it? It's we're great. Talk, we're talking oh. about a controversy and you don't have an opinion. This isn't good radio. Yes. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd rather not give an opinion on yeah. that. Or the it's great. Can you elaborate? It's really great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Can you elaborate? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, thanks for doing this. Man. Oh, this has been great. I've had so much fun. <laughs>